You're listening to the SS Experience on SMG. Uh, you know what it is. It's another edition of the SS Experience right here on 1067 to beat the SMG Podcast Network app. Make sure you stream on YouTube, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, and all of that. I got a real dope guest in the building uh, for today's show. And um, I always like to tell y'all people that I'm from Virginia. And Virginia has like a lot of dope stuff, a lot of dope people that I've encountered all through my life. And Virginia's just a better place. So just to, you know, give y'all all of that stuff that, that I like to just tell y'all that Virginia's the ish. And you're about to see uh, one of the reasons why Virginia is the ish. So ball players. Y'all gonna definitely want to get on this because I know this we normally do music and all of that stuff, but we 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 doing we doing some athletic stuff for the culture. You know what I'm saying? My dude from around the way, from out the way, out the beach in the 757. He came through with a new book that's gonna be dropping this Thursday. It's called "Do It for the Culture: Achieving Maximum Mental Performance." Coach Maurice Mo Sumter. Coach, what's good with you, bro? What's going on, my brother? I appreciate the introduction, man. Hey, no, no, man. I wish it could have been better, but we just winging it right now, man. But how's everything, though? All is good, man. Life is great. All right, no doubt, no doubt. So you came, for one, like, I didn't even know you. I didn't even know you had a book. You know what I'm saying? We got like a lot of we got like a lot of lot of lot of lot of lot of catching up to do. You know what I'm saying? From a radio side, personal side, and all of that stuff. You know what I'm saying? So let's just go ahead and um. Well, before we get into the book, though, man. Where the heck you been at for like the past like 12, 13, 14 some years since the last time I saw you, bro? Where the heck have you been at, bro? 14, you want me to go back 14 years? Everywhere, brother. To be honest with you, everywhere. I've been around the world. Uh, you know, I've been, I literally been around the world playing ball, around the country, uh, coaching, uh, around the country playing ball. Uh, 14 years, let's see, 10, that'll be 13. So, so you're going back to college. I guess we're gonna have to go. I guess we're gonna have to go back that far because I'm assuming that's the reason why you wrote this book is all of those experiences. So that's why I said I haven't. We're gonna we're gonna go we're gonna go there. You know what I'm saying? So all right. So you've been overseas playing ball and all of that. You know what I mean? Go ahead and um let everybody know what that what that experience is like. Okay. Well, you want to start overseas? You want to start with overseas or you want to start in the league? It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Uh, let's go back. Let's go back to college. All right, bet that. Bet that. Tying together to where I'm from and how the book happens. All right, bet that. Bet that. You know what I'm saying? Let's go. Let's go. To, let's go to college. Yeah. So um, I played college at Longwood University. Uh, went to high school at T.C. Williams. I don't know if y'all saw the movie. Remember the Titans? But that was my high school. Uh, played up there the year the, the movie came out. I was actually in tenth grade on the football team. Football is really my first love, but you know basketball came with it too. So I uh, played uh, four years of college at Longwood University, one of the first Division I recruits at that school ever. Um, I got to the school uh, as the first year that they were starting to transition from D- Division II to Division I. So that was, that was a whole ride in itself, man. And, and it's just been, it was a pleasure and, and a blessing to be one of the first and to be able to have the career that I had. You know, I had a lot of different opportunities in coaching, I'm sorry, in playing. And uh, that was the one. That was the one that, that sounded the best to me. You know, nobody could ever take back being one of the first. So no matter how my career went, essentially um, me being the first, I could have always said that even if I rode the bench my four years, <laughs> which I which I didn't. But you know, um, I came in as a freshman, started, played about thirty something minutes a game, averaged ten points as a freshman, ten points as a sophomore. Um, as we went to a bigger, better schedule, played against Chris Paul, uh, Deron Williams, who else? Uh, Nick Young. Uh, I played against Durant and them in the summer, Gilbert Arenas when he was tearing up D.C. So I've been I've been around a lot as far as basketball-wise. From the 757-wise, um, that's what I grew up. You said Virginia Beach, but yeah, Virginia Beach, Norfolk, you know, I claim either. I lived in both and grew up around uh, both both cultures. And just throughout my journey, uh, it's been it's been a ride, and I've, I've enjoyed it. This was a dream that turned into reality. So me me being in the position that I am now is just, it's just all part of the plan, all part of the goal. 
and playing basketball. Went to Europe for, for three years, tore my ACL, played in Holland, Portugal, and Macedonia. Ended up tearing my ACL and just didn't get back right. So that's how I ended up in coaching, which led to the book, essentially. All right, cause we're definitely going to get into, you know what I'm saying, your top three, you know, places that you played at overseas. So, you know, you're coaching now. What was your first uh, coaching gig? My first coaching gig was Indian River High School in Chesapeake. Okay, the river, you know what I'm saying, the river. All right, all right. What was what was that like for you, being out in the, um, in the river coaching up all the young boys out in Chesapeake? Well, it was different, man, simply because I had never thought about coaching. You know, I love the game of basketball, so it would seem natural that I would just roll into coaching after playing, but I, it just never really crossed my mind as a thing to do. But my high school coach kept getting at me, like, when you going to come coach? When you going to come coach? He always thought I would be a good coach. Mm -hmm. And when I got done playing and I realized that my career was probably over, you know, after taking that in, it was more so like, all right, what's the next chapter? What do I, What else do I love to do? And so I started coaching, and it was the best thing close to playing, bro, to be honest with you. I never felt the feeling like that. That felt like basketball. Nothing else was as fulfilling as basketball until I started coaching. So is that the reason um, why you started to write the book? Like, 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 when did you decide that, you know what, I'm going to write a book? Okay. Well, that, that's funny. That's, that's sooner than you, than you think. So, okay. so backstory. Originally, when I was coaching at Virginia State, which was probably my fourth year coaching college, uh, we had a, um, an amazing team, man. I mean, we, we broke the record my first year and broke that record the second year. Nice. Uh, we went 54 and 9 in two seasons. Back-to-back uh, -back conference championships. Then we won the CIAA tournament down in Charlotte, uh, which used to be great. Uh, it's in Baltimore now. But yeah, and as and as as an alumni, that's absolutely trash. But no, go ahead. We'll <laughs> we'll we'll leave that for another conversation. The setup is good for basketball, as far as for the people for the for the audience is not as great as Charlotte was. I'll say that. Yeah, 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 for sure. But um, but yeah, so I'm coaching there, and honestly, it came to me like an epiphany, man. But I was I was there around and. and with two different coaches, the two coaches that were there were already great. They had already won the CIAA championship. They already established a great program. So adding me to the to the mix, my question was, what what do I do to contribute to this? You know what they already had, and I'm still early on in coaching. I'm still getting my feet under me, so I'm learning the nuances of coaching. So, coach kept saying the same thing over and over and over. Do it for the culture, man. I, not do it for the culture. I'm sorry. He was saying, our culture is is suffering. Our culture is suffering. Okay. You know, and throughout my basketball history, I've been a part of good teams and I've been a part of really, really bad teams. And I and I noticed the difference was the was the culture. I didn't know that at the time, but I learned that as those seasons went on and and looking back at other coaches that I worked for, how important the culture was to our success at that time. So as he's saying that, uh, the culture slipping. So I literally was trying to find my my not my purpose but my value. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that. He kept saying that, and one night it literally rung in my head in the middle of the night, and I woke up in the middle of the night and said, that's how I'm going to contribute. I'm going to help bring the culture back. Me being a sociology major, it kind of was in line. Sociology is the study of groups of people. Yep, yep. And so that was my major in college, and I loved it. And so now I now have a mission, and I'm going to try to make a long story short because it's a long story. <laughs> but, but um, so when I when I did that, it, it took me to – I now had a purpose. I had a mission. So each day I would go and watch YouTube. I go and watch, uh, I read articles, I start reading books more about culture and building and leadership. I, I read the book Leaders Eat Last, which was a great book to contribute to it. Uh, I re had read 48 Laws of Power, uh, Art of Seduction, the whole Robert Greene segment. Uh, was reading those books and it kinda, I took pieces of all those as references as to how to lead, how to build a culture, and then I got a couple pillars together that, that remained consistent. I wrote all that down, broke it down, and came up with a, a program. It started as a program to help my team's culture, essentially, and then carry on for when I become a head coach or, or, or run my own program. 
And so I sent it out to a few teachers. My sister's a teacher. Uh, one of my friends, uh, her wife is a teacher. So, and they told me, you should make this into a book. I never thought about it before that very moment. Not some pieces, hired a consultant who's great, Miss Tawana. She, she's amazing. She's doing great things. So shout to her for sure. She, she's been helping me and guiding me throughout this book path and um, is, is walking me through the finish line. So shout to Tawana. She uh, played basketball at Ole Miss, uh, just a great person in general, but uh, also a great a great businesswoman and, and, and consultant. She's, uh, she did a lot of great things and does a lot of great things. So once, once I decided to make it a book, it was about putting the finishing touches on it. And what I realized is that I didn't know where else to take it. Once I wrote the book and organized it the way I thought it was best organized, I didn't know what to take it from there. So that's when I found her on Instagram just randomly, just saw what she was doing and said, hey, uh, whatever you're doing, I want in. <laughs> and if it's some way you can help me or I can help you, I'm, I'm more than happy to because I saw the great things she was doing. Okay. And so that's kind of how I turned the corner on officially making it a book. And she's just been amazing ever since with, with, with her help and her resources uh, to, to take the book to the next level. Coach Maurice Mo Sumter, do it for the culture right here on the SS Experience on 1067 to beat the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, YouTube. You can um, all watch it there. So I'm going through um, the back of the book, which I forget what they call the back of the book when it has like a whole bunch of good stuff in it. But I'm reading the back of the book and I wanted to go through a sentence um, that you said that I thought was really dope. Um, you said that talent is often the main focus, but one's mental performance is usually what separates the good from the great. What, how much of a line is that separation? Or how far is that separation from um, a person's mental to um, just playing off of the physical? Man, you just threw me the lob. So one of the, one of the main ways I introduced the book is that uh, they tell us that sports or anything at a high level is 90% mental and 10% physical, right? Mm -hmm. That's what we've heard since day one of playing any sport or any high level participation. For sure. But we only focus on the mental 10% and focus on the physical 90. That's true. So my goal was to try to pull some of that 90 back over to the mental side so that I can help young people or anybody in any position of, of group or any position to want to perform at a high level, give them the mental capacity to, to reach that high level. Um, me being the player, I remember the routine and my, you know, getting into a zone and the things I used to do to get myself mentally prepared for thousands of people, referees, defense, double teams, things like that. And I just wanted to give out that, share that mental ride or share that mental, the way I got to that mental performance level because it's not easy. It's a bunch of 6'8", 250-pound guys out there like LeBron. Yet it's only one LeBron. Facts. No, it's just facts. One. You know, and even even all the guys in the league, it's everybody in the league, there's somebody out here that looks, smells, same height, same length, of, of same athleticism of every player in the league right now. Mm -hmm. But yet it's only 300 and something players in the league. Why is that? That's because of the mental side of it, the work ethic. All those things tie in. Look at Kobe. We talk about Kobe a lot, but his mental is what we're enamored by now. We saw him play for years, and we still didn't know this, who Kobe was. Mm -hmm. But now we're getting to see the mental side of how he prepared. Now it's a whole mantra. Now it's a whole mentality, Mamba yep. mentality. Yep. You know, And that's, that's, that's because he focused on the mental side and took that and turned it to the physical side. And that, with this book, that's my goal is to, is to open up your mind to the mental side of the game so that you can perform at a high level. No, and, um, and again, it looks like it's going to be a real dope book. You get the book on uh, Thursday. It's going to be available 
on Amazon. There's going to be hard copies available wherever books are sold, all of that. Do it for the culture, achieving maximum mental performance by Coach Maurice Mo Sumter. All right, so let's get into a little bit of uh, your current uh, life right now. You know what I'm saying? We went to the retired basketball. We're going to talk about your top three uh, places that you played at overseas, maybe some stuff about the uh, the difficult guard, you know, or the person that you had to guard or whatnot. So what's life for you right now? And I'm telling you, I remember you were saying that you're um, – you're coaching women's. You coaching women's basketball. So I guess uh, one of the main questions to ask is is um, why and when did you transition from coaching men to coaching women? Okay, so high school those three years I coached men, and then for eight not eight or nine years I coached women. I mean I coached men in college. Mm -hmm. um, I did. Uh, I started with Division Two at Shaw University. Then I went to. Uh, I work with ODU as a volunteer, and th those guys are great over there, man. They allowed me to be a fly in the room and just observe, observe and absorb, you know, the things that they had to offer, which they had uh, an amazing uh, coaching staff, uh, Coach Jeff Jones being the head coach, um, you know, and those guys, uh, they, they've run a great program for a number of years. I want to say they've been there for about 15 years and have won the conference championship, had a couple guys go to the NBA, mm -hmm. uh, Kent Bazemore being one of them. And so, so he's, from, he's from Virginia as well. So coming over to the women's side, there was a um, people had asked me honestly over the years. You should come to the women's side. I think you'd be great. You should come to the women's side. I mean, the way you work with players and the way you see the game, I think it'd be beneficial on the women's side. And you know, I'd, I'd heard rumors like you go to the women's side, you can never come back to the men's side, and you know it's a hard coming back and forth. And once you're over there, you're over there, you're stuck. And you know, I don't really listen to people like when it comes to stuff like that. It's more so me uh, believing in myself and anything I do. And, right. You know, it's always naysayers, but you know, me personally, I. That means nothing to me. So, uh, one of my homegirls who I coached with at Virginia State, Coach Penny, who's, who's one of my good friends, she was she got a head coaching job at Livingstone College in North Carolina. And she when she she said it jokingly when she was there, when she was leaving, like, yo, you should come coach with me. And I was like, nah, 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 I'm not ready. That's when I was still at Virginia State. Then I went to Christopher Newport. A uh, special shout-out to Christopher Newport as well. They just won a national championship. And shout-out to the women's team and the men's team. The women's team lost in the national championship game. The men's team won a national championship. So nice. shout-out to CNU. They're doing amazing things over there. Amazing uh, amazing environment, amazing athletic department. Uh, they're great. So so when I, I left Christopher Newport after quarantine and went to be associate head coach at Bluefield out near West Virginia, and one morning I was sitting in the office and my homegirl, Coach Penny, Shiante Wester, she called me and uh, asked me would I be open, and open to an opportunity of coaching women. Now, like I said, in the back of my mind, I kind of had a plan to go coach women. Okay, nice. And I literally just took an associate head coaching job maybe three months prior. So I was only at Bluefield for three months before she called me. So it was kind of like the door opened itself with that phone call. So I went down there and coached with her and we uh, re in rebuilding stage, all new players, uh, probably one or two returners. And we went to the semifinals of the CIAA tournament from 12th place from the last seed. Mm. So it was it was more of a progressive season. It was it was great. We felt good. We did some great things, and those young ladies were amazing. So, uh, just to say, that was the opportunity that opened the door for me. So, did two years there. Ended up being interim head coach in my second year for the last half of the season, which was an amazing experience. And then Young Harris called. We connected through some mutual friends, and Young Harris was was the next opportunity for me. All right, no doubt, no doubt. So that's crazy that you said that once you go from like men's to women's women's to men's it's kind of like you can't go back is it because of the the way of the coaching is it like a a, a stigma of it like why is it said i mean even though we know it's not true but why is it something that's said you know to be honest with you i have no idea 
I have no idea. It was it was something that I I didn't I had no idea or knowledge of beforehand, and I just that was just hearsay from people that that, that I talked to in the industry, you know. And I, I'm assuming they experienced it or saw the experience. But for me, it was it's basketball. I want to coach basketball. I'm not. I wasn't too particular about um, who and you know where you know within reason. But to be honest with you, I've always been attached to women's basketball. My sister played basketball. My sister was one of my biggest influences on me playing basketball. My sister okay. was uh, one of the top players in the nation, played for Boo Williams. Uh, we ended up going to Seton Hall playing. Uh, I mean, I remember her having boxes upon boxes of letters back when letters was a thing. Right, text right. messaging and emails. Right, right. Uh, she, had, she had boxes of letters in the house, and I just watched that, that whole process go, and I was behind her. And so, you know, when I, I dated women's basketball players, you know, throughout my career and things like that. So I've always been ingrained in women's basketball with a little more passion and attention than I think most okay. in my position. So. Back, women's basketball has always been a thing for me. It's just I just never connected the dots on coaching it and what I had to offer to the women's side and what they had to offer me because I've learned a lot from my female players as well. No, that's interesting that you said that because um, the WNBA is like a real good league that doesn't get much of the attention uh, that it duly it, it, it truly deserves. And I'm, I'm a very uh, – advocate for uh women's basketball to be honest with you the first basketball game that i called was a women's game it was uh right state university versus uh val Valparaiso. I, I never can say that yeah, name I right played, i played against Valparaiso, man it was, it was i don't know how i went through that broadcast saying their name but i just knew i never could say it right either before the game or after the game i think it, in real motion i could say their name and it was pretty dope so no i've definitely um been a fan of uh, women's basketball from a, a, a game standpoint, and a lot of them is bad too. I mean, some of them don't like short dudes, but you know what I'm saying for the most part, though, <laughs> they bad as heck, though. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, hey, look, you got it, man. If, if y'all do like a short guy, here I am. But um, got uh, Coach Maurice Mo Sumter, do it for the culture, achieving maximum mental performance, right here on the SS Experience on 1670 B, the iHeartRadio app, Spotify, YouTube, and all of that. Book drops this Thursday, so make sure that you go ahead and pick that up. If you got, you know, sons, daughters, you know playing basketball um if you just need something that's um not necessarily about basketball but just something that can just get you in a good right mental headspace for the culture you know what i'm saying go ahead and pick up the book now let's have a little bit of a fun uh conversation Hold with on, uh, quick, before you go there let me touch on that so the, the reason why i named the book do it for the culture is is is, is twofold uh the culture the culture i don't know if you know the exact definition of culture but culture is uh, the group of people and unwritten rules that you live by, no matter what it okay. is. Yeah, you know, yeah, everybody yeah. has culture. For sure. You know, whatever your culture is, whatever the rules you live by in your head, in your mental space, or your 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 uh, common space with a group of people, that's your culture. Mm-hmm. You know, and we all have a culture. Sports or not, everybody has a culture. Your, your family is your culture. Your yep. household is your culture. Your job is your culture. Everything has a culture of rules that you live by and you understand them. So I say do it for the culture because if you do it for the culture, it makes it a selfless act and you make selfless decisions, mm-hmm. you know, but you make decisions that are going to benefit the people around you and not harm the people around you. So if you have a decision to make and you say, am I doing this for the culture? Then you're held to the fire of the rules and regulations that you agreed upon to be a part of and that the group of people around you can be proud of. So do it for the culture so that, you know, you, you're following the rules that you've set forth and the people you are a part of and around. Yeah, man, you got to have a code. You know what I'm saying? Pretty much. You know what I'm saying? You got to have a code of ethics and all of that. You know what I mean? So, no, I definitely, no, I definitely understood that, but glad that you, uh, you know what I'm saying, broke it down for everybody else who 
you know, might might have confused, you know what I'm saying, the culture, because we all do it for the culture, whether it's the rap culture, just basketball culture and all of that. So I want to get into, um, you said that you played um, against with um, a lot of several ball players that, you know, we all, you know, grown and love, you know, over our time of watching basketball. Who would you say was the um, the toughest person that you had to guard? Hmm. On any on uh, on any level, even if you give us some European overseas guy that we'll never hear of, you know what I'm saying? But just, you know, we'll give that person their flowers. Um, I say the toughest person I've... Oh, so I go game and I go period. Okay. The first person I got in the game was a kid named Ronnie Price. He played for uh, Utah Valley State, ended up going to play for the Suns, and I think he played for the Lakers and the Jazz maybe, something like that. Okay. But Ronnie Price was... He was a... Um, he was an independent. He went to an independent school before they became part of a, a conference, and we all were independent together. So we played them a lot. Just you know, we had to field games without having the conference. Okay. So Ronnie Price, I I, I got to give him a special shout. Cat named Larry Blair. Um, I know his sister. She's a coach and she's super cool. Uh, she used to be a coach, but he he was one of the toughest guards I ever guarded. Man, he he was he reminded me like Steph Curry. He had that quick trigger, like Eddie House kind of trigger. Mm. Um, uh, off. Off brand, not off brand, but off like summer league. I probably have to say either Jeff Green, recent 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 NBA champion Jeff Green, because you know there's like three different oh, Jeff right, Greens. Yeah, recent NBA champion. I played so I played against him at the Kenner League in DC when we were. Uh, he was he was up and, he was a rising freshman in college, and I was a rising sophomore in college. Okay. And he put me in the post, and I was like, this high school kid just put me in the post. I'm mad. I didn't know who he was at the time. I just knew he was a big high school kid, one of the top players in the country. I knew that, but that never that never affected me. Right, right. But I right. was a year older, and then I was like, yo, this kid just put me in the post. Then he hit me with a move and gave me some body. I was like, I got some work to do. Okay, I said, okay. I want to go to the league. I got some work to do. And so that was that was one of the, the young the young reflections on where I was trying to be, just setting the bar. And he ended up playing one year at Georgetown and going to the NBA and been there since. <laughs> Hey, whatever you can say about Jeff Green, he been, he did bounce around some teams, but he definitely was a was a bucket early in the game when he was playing um, with Kevin Durant up in Seattle, which a lot of people uh, forget. Seattle had a, a basketball team back in the day. For sure. The Jeff Supersonics. The prototypes, man. And I, and I mean, as far as body, length, athleticism, ability, like he's a three-level three, three level scorer, size, athleticism. He's one of the prototypes that I thought could have been, you know, one of the, one of the bigger guys. I think he had some injury things going on, but... He he definitely was 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 on his way. That open heart surgery didn't help neither. That's I can definitely I can definitely I can definitely tell you that because that's well not from personal experience but yeah I can definitely yeah that's something I can definitely change in life. So you said that you um again like you man you ain't, you ain't been around the way in a minute but that's good though. No, it's good when you're not around the way because you're actually out in these streets working instead of you just not out the way because you're on some bump stuff. So I'm glad that you was overseas coaching and doing all of that stuff. So what's your um. If you have three, if you don't have three, just give me like your top, I'll say top three, but if you don't have three, give me your top two, your top one. Top three places um, overseas that you played. I only played in three places, but. I All right, well, I get, well, I get, well, okay, I will, well, rank them then. So now you have to oh, rank there them. There you go. I rank them. Oh, Holland for sure. That, I had a ball in Holland. Is that, is that three or that's one? That's one. That's one by far. Okay. All right. So we're going to go one and three. All right. So what's two? Two was uh, Portugal. I was on an island in Portugal. Oh, nice. That do sound pretty dope. So, uh, but but Holland was so dope because I was about forty-five minutes, not even forty, about twenty minutes from Antwerp, Belgium, and about forty-five minutes from Brussels. 
So, and Amsterdam was maybe an hour and a half. We did the All Star game there and everything. So I spent a couple couple times in uh, Amsterdam. So those those three elements right there just made that whole experience just a different level. And that was my first year. I was twenty one, fresh out of college. Okay. Broke with no money. So. <laughs> no, that yo no that's definitely a check. What was number three? Macedonia. Macedonia. Nothing bad. I'm not saying nothing bad about them, but they're number three on this list. They just it just was a different country. Eastern Europe is a little different mm -hmm. than Western Europe, to, in, in a sense that just the the whole vibe they had. You know, it was a war torn country. They had been through some war in the past, so you can kind of still see the remnants of that. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so yeah. I flew into Greece. Greece was beautiful. You know, so I was in I was in Greece for you know a couple of days or so, and Greece is beautiful. Then they take you to Macedonia, and you know it's just it's a, it's just a different city. It's not it's not as as developed as those other cities I've been to. Right. Shout out to Lisbon, um, Portugal too. Lisbon is, yeah. If you're, if you want to party and have a good time, and eh, Lisbon is dope. I don't want to put you on the spot, but I feel like basically reading um, the back copy of the book that I kind of want to just to be a little bit messy real quick. And I'm trying, <laughs> and I'm trying, I'm trying to look for the sentence real quick, but it's gonna take me a while to nah, find it. Ask, but um, it's. But um, you basically said in the book that you, uh, well, not in the book, but on this back page, that you've uh, been a part of some winning cultures and you've been a part of some not so great cultures. <laughs> yeah. I Before I ask the real messy question of which basketball program had a bad culture, what did make it a bad culture? Um, I don't want to say a bad culture because the culture wasn't bad. And that wasn't necessarily the reason why we lost. That's why I didn't say bad on that. Yeah, you know what? Let, let, why you why you do that? Let me actually let me find that extra. Why you just clean that up real quick? I got you. But but I mean the different the difference in cultures are typically you know just the way you move you move as your leader moves. Ah, right, hold on, I got it. I've been blessed to be a part of successful programs as both a coach and a player. I've also been a part of unsuccessful seasons and programs. So okay, so what made the program unsuccessful? I think the program was was unsuccessful because everybody didn't buy in, and I say buy in, I mean the word. I like to say the word invest. Mm -hmm. Buy in is kind of you, you kind of deaf to buy in now. It just sounds like a good term that everybody likes to repeat. So I right. say investment. I don't think everybody invested in the program or invested in the, the the winning culture that the coach set forth. And when I say everybody, I mean you know just all the way down from administration all the way to the training staff to players to coaches so everybody in between not saying everybody in between but the people in between that contribute to the culture weren't all on the same page which made it the culture go different ways and then i think culture culture is set by the by the head coach but it's enforced by the, the assistant coaches in the team mm -hmm. so when you when you and in a sense when you have a lot of see the difference i'm, I'm gonna get a little deep right here so when you when you're trying to build a culture for a coach, it's usually your first year you spend the whole year building the culture mm -hmm. because you have returners. You obviously want you gonna have transfers, especially with the temperature now, and you got incoming high school players. Okay. So, incoming high school players this is their first college experience. They don't know no better. Right. Whatever you say, that's that's what the bar is for them. Mm -hmm. Right. Transfers, on the other hand, they they've been in a culture or two, depends on where they transferred from or how many times they transferred. Right. So they're coming in with their own idea of what culture is. So now you have to shape and mold their idea of culture from what it used to be to what you want it to be. You know what I'm saying? So it's um it's it's a challenge. And sometimes not on not not always on the coach, but it's a challenge to to take young people 
that have their own idea, that have families, that have AAU coaches, that have a lot of people surrounding them, and take their ideal and tell them that that's not right or it's a different way to do it. Mm-hmm. You know, they've always been a star. Why would they change things? Which I get. Why would I do something different if it's always worked for me? But at the same time, they have to have the trust and they have to have the investment in their coach to know that this is way will work better for you and all of us. You get what I'm saying? Yeah, the culture yeah, yeah. is a group thing. And, and oftentimes players become individuals and, you know, they want, they want individual success. And they don't understand that their success and team success can work together. All right, now can we get the name of the bad program? <laughs> no, it wasn't a bad program. That's why I want to say that. Nah, we can't. <laughs> I can't put that tag on the bad program. Um, we had a. We had a. Um, I'll say my my sophomore year of college. Okay. My freshman year, sophomore year of college was we were trying to build the culture. Okay. So that's why I say the program went bad. The culture was still in, in rebuild, and so we had some players that was spilled over from the last program before my coach came in, and then we had us who were all freshmen. And then my sophomore year, we had a bunch of new freshmen coming in. Right. So the culture wasn't really established yet. That's why I say I don't want to say bad program, bad culture, because it really wasn't established because of the, the transition of old players moving out, us who didn't know no better, and new players coming in. Okay, all right, so, all right, so, all right, so the programs you wouldn't describe that you was a part of were bad. Correct. But you've seen some bad programs. I've or, seen or, a bad programs. And you've seen some, all right, so. So you want to know what a bad culture looks like? I mean, if we're saying that the unsuccessful program isn't bad, then yes, well, I, I mean, do. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so, saying it now, man. no, no, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> Make sure that you read the book because here it's definitely clear in the book. Do it for the culture, achieving maximum mental performance by Coach Maurice Mo Sumner. Um, but yeah, so because I guess the reason why I'm asking is because we can all, you know, we can all say Heat culture is a great culture. Love that culture. I actually have their culture uh, packet. And is, I read it as I was writing my book. I mean, if you have all them undrafted players doing their thing, getting like millions of dollars, you know what I'm saying? What that dude, the Gabe Vincent dude, he went to the LA, yeah. he got cashed out, you know yeah. what I'm saying? Because he was a part of a good culture. You got to love it. Um, the Golden State Warriors, you know what I'm Very saying? Cool. They, the, Draymond Green can punch a teammate in his stuff, in his face, <laughs> and they can, and still keep him up. Look, that's a, that's culture right there because, hey, Draymond sets the culture. And if, if Draymond wants to punch you in your face for whatever reason, that's culture, you know what I'm saying? They're going to they're gonna win and die by that. But in, in your, whether it's professional sports, college sports, or whatever, when you are on your sideline and either you hear the rumors, you look at the stats, and you look at the body language of your opponent, what does a bad program or a bad culture look like? Okay. Um, so I'll take a quote from the great John Wooten. He said, they nobody in the arena should know whether we up twenty or we down twenty, mm. because of our body language and the, and the way we're playing, and that's a great way to describe what a good good versus bad culture is. Okay, you up twenty, or you winning, it's exciting. You know when you're down twenty, it's not so exciting. But your team should look the same. They should be dapping each other up just the same. They should be playing just as hard. There shouldn't be arguments and things like that because you're losing. Because those people are called front runners that only celebrate when you win. For sure. front runners in our industry. For sure. And so, let me let me let me take it back. I'm gonna give you an example of a, a good versus bad culture. You've been to KFC before, right? What the chicken spot? Yeah. Heck yeah. You've been to Chick Fil A before? For sure. What's the difference? Uh, Chick Fil A, they always do the whole. It's my pleasure, and they're very very nice and friendly. You can get a refill, and they don't even really pretty much care. And KFC is kind of, I ain't gonna say the opposite, but it ain't Chick Fil A. Why not? 
I guess like like I say when they say my pleasure and all of that, they're 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 I guess they're they're. Which I I don't want to use the word culture because I know that's the whole point of all of this, but just the way that they let's just say this: their customer service, their customer service is okay. di- their customer service is different. Okay, it's a significant difference, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure. You got to pull up for your chicken at uh at, at KFC, right? For sure. They always they run out of chicken quite often, right? Yeah, they do, and that drink sucks. Sauce don't be in the bag. They don't greet you. You you feel like you bothering them when you go to Chick Fil A. I mean, when you go to KFC, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Definitely, okay. definitely. So. That's the difference right there. That's a cultural thing. Mm. That's their culture. That's okay. why Chick-fil-A is what Chick-fil-A is. That's why Chick-fil-A is the biggest, probably best fast food restaurant in the country right now. Because of the things, the rules that they put in place of service that across the country is the same. It's not just one area. Mm-hmm. It's not just the suburbs. It's not just the hood. Right. Every Chick-fil-A you ever go to is exactly the same. Same experience. The same thing for KFC though. Right. <laughs> Everywhere across the country is the same exact experience and it's not a great one. That's culture. Mm-hmm. That's the definition of culture, right? Think about the Cowboys and Redskins, and I picked those two teams in particular because I'm a Cowboy fan, and I grew up in the Redskin area, so I've had a lot of conversations about it. So I'm not saying winning versus losing in this scenario. Okay. I'm saying I'm just talking about pure culture. Gotcha. Think about all the turmoil and things the Redskins have been going through since you've been alive. Just think about it. They 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 can't win. I mean, as a as a as an Eagles fan, I wish I wish nothing but pain and suffering to all of y'all, but I get it. And that's understandable. And your Eagles have a culture, though. For sure. They're constantly relevant. Cow- people say Cowboys ain't won a Super Bowl. Okay, cool, we have won a Super Bowl, but we relevant every single year. Every year we're talking about us, we're in the mix, we have a chance of going. Redskins are always at the bottom. Yep. They might dip in for one year, dip out. Dip in for one, two years, be good, and dip out. Yep. That's not a coincidence. That's a cultural thing. No, I'm 100%. No, I'm 100% with that, especially uh with the new stuff that they're trying to get going on now whatever. Um out there in a uh, good old uh DC, you know what I mean? But um no, I can definitely I can definitely I can definitely I can definitely see um and like I said, I wanted to ask the difference between bad and good cuz you know, there's different adjectives and stuff like that. So I just want to make sure that the listeners can tell. But also, if you want to know the difference between a good culture or successful culture program get the book do it for the culture achieving maximum mental performance by coach maurice mo something the book is going to be available this thursday so make sure that you uh you know go to amazon find out wherever books are sold go ahead and get yourself a copy of that real quick um so let me my bad i don't mean to run, run. Yeah, 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 yeah. on that, that 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 longwood culture that like i said we came into we were taught culture then okay those cultures were great i don't i don't want to make it seem like i'm saying that that it wasn't good but they had to build the culture it was first second year young guys the culture had to have time to build man I, and i want everybody to understand that the culture is a process you can't just wake up one day and say hey we're gonna be great today everybody come to practice on time you know that kind of thing right so special shout out to the longwood family man those guys they they shaped me into be a being a, a the young man i am today without those guys and that staff um, those guys are still coaching and doing great things in the world, man. So a special shout out to every last one of those people that contributed to me at Longwood. All right. So with the last five minutes that we have left, um, do you want to get into a WNBA conversation or do you want to do the typical basketball conversation that everybody does? Um, LeBron James versus Michael Jordan, because uh, LeBron just had news uh, that just hit my timeline real quick that he's going to get rid of the number six again uh, be- because of um, Bill Russell. So he's going to go back to number 23, which is like, OK, cool. You know, it's just man, Nike's just winning, boy. They stopped him from changing six from 23 to six because they was like, LeBron, 
We just made all of these Nike jerseys, bro. We need to sell these jerseys first. And that's why LeBron had to be like, okay, Nike, yeah. that's cool. Second, y'all sell them jerseys, we're going to get the sixes. And then we're going to sell them jerseys. Exactly. At the same clip. And they just sold all of them. I bought a 23 LeBron jersey for the Lakers Went while he was six. So they sold it double time. And look, and they about to sell it. And they about to sell it again. You know what I'm saying? Because he's going to go back to 23. So it's on you. You know what I'm saying? We can give. Uh, I've seen the WNBA All-Star game. Real good stuff. Um, we, we can do that. Or we can do the typical uh, go conversation. It's on you. Man, I'm decoration. I bet. Um, well, sure. We'll just do it because let's do WNBA because that Jordan conversation is more than five minutes. Yeah, it is. It it, it definitely would be because we'll be recording like all day. You know what I'm saying? All right. So the WNBA. You know what I'm saying? I was just watching the All Star game. Uh, Team Stewie like blew out the um Aces or whatever. When you working with um, and again I'm a, I'm a I'm a tie into WNBA, but I'm gonna tie it off to what you currently got going on. When you um working with um women's basketball, women basketball players and all of that, what's one of the main um, like do they have like that hoop dream of going to the league? Like, cause you know basically every dude in every level has a dream of going to the league. But being that the WNBA is so small, uh, twelve teams. A lot of first-round draft picks don't make it. They get cut. Like, there's, like, a hella good amount of uh, young women players. What do you talk to your uh, la- female players about when it comes to trying to get to that next level to the WNBA? Well, that's man, you, you, you said it perfect. So part of, my, uh, part of my transition over to the women's side was that taking the ego out of it. You know, I can coach basketball with a little less ego. And the biggest issue was that every – like you said, every guy at every level thinks he's going to the league. Mm-hmm. So it, it kind of hinders their growth in a way because they don't focus on today. They're trying to get to the league, and if they ain't getting what they want to get to the league, then it's a problem. Right. With females, they just want to play basketball. And, I mean, they do have aspirations after school, but they think about things outside of basketball, like life after, life after college, career, you know, family, things of that nature. So it, it, it changes the teaching dynamic, and it changes the, the, the purity of the game. You get what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I always use this analogy. I love the women's game because it's more pure. Because men, we think that we're just going to run real fast and jump real high and solve all our problems. No, that's facts. Right? Yeah. And women have to use their their IQ and, and spacing and things of that nature to, to get to where they want to get to, to be in the right spot, to do you know things the right way. So the game is more pure. And I love coaching the pureness of the game, you know, or the purity. And that's one of the reasons why I like watching uh, the women's game, too. Not necessarily because it's in the summertime and I'm not watching baseball because it's low scoring. I'm not watching soccer because it's low scoring. I need fast pace. I need action. So uh, the WNBA is the only league. Well, the big three, but let's talk about the, you know, the, 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 the real, not the real hooping, but you get what I'm saying, though. Have you ever thought about doing the big three? Planning it? Hell yeah. No, nah, I can't plan that, man. That's for NBA guys. I thought it's when I seen some like overseas guys or some. They probably went overseas, but they all were in NBA, played in the NBA. Oh, okay, so okay, so that's a little niche. That's a little yeah. No, no school. Yeah, but I said we got the we got the dog in the studio <laughs> right now, and, and she is really over here. Like she she act like she wants to be a part of the conversation. Just don't just don't. Yeah, she's never really like that. She just hear voices and stuff, and she's out here in these streets. All right, so anyway, going back to my thought, though, you know what I'm saying? So uh, the women's basketball is something that I always like to watch because, like you said, it's, it's pure, it's real authentic. You know, they're not dependent on athleticism and all of that. It's, but let me ask you this. So, so, like, when people say in order to make women's basketball exciting, we have to lower the rim. Because if, <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, they play on the same 10-foot rim as, as men, right? So yeah. they say that they should lower the rim to like nine feet kind of like 
a little bit taller than um, the Rutgers basketball hoop or whatever. When you hear that, being that you work around women, what do you think about that? I know you just laughed at it, but I'm just saying, like, you know. I laughed at it because I I thought about that, and I heard somebody speak about it the other day, so it's interesting. And, all right, so this this is how I looked at it when when I first heard that comment. What's the what are the three most exciting things about men's basketball? Crossovers, dunks, mm-hmm. and I would say um, last second shots. Okay. Last second shots will be last second shots might be a distant third, but I mean I'll, I'll give you that off the top Let's of my head. Threes. Let's just say threes. Uh, threes is man. Steph Curry watered it down, man. It's overrated. Now. Everybody's jacking threes, but I'm with you for exactly. the conversation. But, but this crowd stands up when they see threes, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Crowd makes noise when they see. Yeah, 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 yeah. Crowd makes noise when they see dunks. Yeah, yeah. Crowd makes noise when they see crossovers. Right, 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 Those right. Are the three most exciting things about basketball. Okay. Women only can do two of them. Not women overall, but most women or, or the majority of the league can only do two of them. Crossovers and uh, crossovers and threes. Exactly. So now, I okay. Let me ask you this: Would the game be more exciting with dunks? If females were dunking on each other. Um. Would it be more exciting? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that the current state of women's basketball is not exciting. If you no, let no, me, if I you let me, if you sense. let me, if you let me get somebody like um somebody that plays on my squad, um, Brittany Sykes. She's five nine, but she can dunk. You know what I'm saying? She got hops. She can get up there. You tell if you give me Brittany Sykes on a foot less rim. Oh, she's put everybody on the poster. Okay, cool. So now we got but, posters. Again, that doesn't move me, but if I'm speaking for like the average male guy that's like, hey, I want to see more dunks, I'll present that. But it's, it's cool for me. Yeah, so I, I mean, I get that. And like I say, here's the, here's the thing. And, I, and I've heard, I've been in this conversation with women before. I've heard women feedback, not necessarily the conversation, but women seem to be insulted by that idea. Of course, understandable. But the women's game is nothing like the men's game. Mm-hmm. They, they play less time. The three-point line is closer. The court, I, I want to say the court is a little bit smaller. If not, it might be the same. But there's there's nuances of the women's game that cater more. The ball is smaller. Did I say that? No, you didn't, but we the, yeah, ball, ball, is the ball is smaller. Yeah. So there are nuances to the women's game that make the women's game more feasible to the women that are playing it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. So what's so... What would be so bad about lowering the rim? Does that disrupt the integrity of the game? Now, I, I know. So let me say this. You would have to lower the rim across the board for high school, college, whatever, maybe. But then again, when you get to the league, rules are different anyway. So it isn't like that there's no difference in high school, college, and pro. I don't know if you remember the basketball court in uh, my neighborhood that me and Diz used to stay in out in um, Indian Lakes, Colony Point area. Yeah, A lot of time. Right, but did you know that that rim wasn't regulation? That joint was like extra higher than like regulation. I did. That's what I'm saying. So like for us, like people who played in our neighborhood on our court, okay, we shooting on that thing. That's it's regular. We get to the high school gym, or we get to anybody else's hoop. Oh, we shooting with way longer range because we got to shoot at a on our home court. We have to shoot at a higher arc. So I'm saying all of that to say, if you change the rim on all levels or if you don't change the rim on all levels it can just mess up like your natural flow of shooting i don't agree with it like i would want to do it but you know it's a conversation that people said that they want to you know try to make women's sports exciting but hold up but the three-point line is different on all three levels 
That is true. That, I mean, I mean that that is true. I mean, court size is different on most levels. Now I didn't know that about the court size. I didn't know that about the court size, but I definitely knew about the the three point line because it's like some people say I can hit a three pointer. Can you hit an NBA three pointer? And you be like, ain't that exactly. all? The, ain't that all the same? And then it's like, nah. Not even close. Like when you when you go down on the court, when you go down on the court and you, you look see, at I that, that you be like, yo, get the out of here. Like it's not your neighborhood three point line. It is not your neighborhood three point line. I I felt offended by that. I'm like, oh yeah, this ain't this ain't cool. So I, I mean, in conclusion, man, I, I think I think it's worth a try. I think I think it's worth a try because I do. So I was watching the, I was watching the game the other day. I think um, what's my girl name from um, she went to New York now. I think Stewie. Yeah 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 yeah. Three three the other night, right? Hooping, hooping. So I saw a play where she was on the fast break, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, another player was on the fast break and she dropped the ball back to her. And the person that was defending the original player turned around, and Stewie was right there shooting the layup. Mm. Imagine if that was a dunk. I mean, you'll have more. You'll have you'll have more people out of your seats. Like I said, That's I would. I wouldn't. I guess I said I wouldn't mind it. I get why they would be offended by it, but I do too. I do too. It is what it is, because you know what I'm saying. We all know that it, you know women's basketball isn't the same as men's basketball, but um. I def since we having a and we about to dip real quick. We gonna promote the book in like one last second. Give me your top. Um, and again, because we know your 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 lady player, your female players is gonna hear this, so we definitely want to have you speak well about their sport mm-hmm. as well. For sure. Um, top three uh, women's WNBA players today. Today. Yes, today. I mean, obviously, uh, Asia Wilson. She's just a beast. Oh man! I, I actually saw one of her first college games. She was playing against Duke. My, one of my homegirls was the coach at Duke. And, mm. You know, I used to go to all the females Duke games. Okay. And she was playing. They beat Duke in overtime at the buzzer. She scored the game-winning bucket. So that was my first experience with uh, Asia Wilson before I even started following, you know, women's basketball as closely. But Asia, Asia Wilson, obviously. Um, oh, Gray. What's I can't think of her first name. Gray what? from uh, the Aces. Oh, Chelsea Gray. Chelsea Gray. Oh my God, she's tough. I'm a fan. Like, and, and, and obviously uh, Jewel Lloyd. The gold mamba. The gold mamba. You know, no, those those are the younger ones. But yeah, I mean, Tamika Holstraw, who was one of my one of my favorite players. Um, Tina Thompson was dope. Shout out UVA. Yeah, Tina Thompson. Don Staley was was great. I mean, I've been like I said, I've been following women's basketball for a long time, so I can go down the list and, and just Candace Parker. She's always going to be one of my favorites. She just she's the LeBron of women's basketball to me. Mm. No, I like I like I like all of them. I'm uh I'm enthused to see uh Skylar Diggins Fontel get back on the court. You know what I'm saying? I was talking about her two days ago, with my man. Yeah, man. Like I'm I'm definitely looking forward to seeing her uh get back on the court. Um, who's my chick from uh? Cause like like her and Jewel Lloyd went back and forth not too long ago. They both Notre Dame products. Um, Arika Ugubale, and I probably oh, just said yeah. her name wrong, yeah, but. Yeah. Yeah, she's like she's like a straight like bucket bucket. You know what I mean? Bucket, like a straight bucket bucket. I got some tall girls. I got some tall girls that's on uh, my radar. But I've been uh, Asia Wilson, Candace Parker, uh, the one chick that's for Dallas. I think it's like uh, Satubu. I can't again. I, I can't pronounce their name. These foreign these foreign girls, man. But they well, bad though. While we talking about them, shout out to uh, T Pratt, man. She went to my high school. She was a McDonald's All American. Went to North Carolina, played in the WNBA for a couple of years, and Sugar Rogers, she out of seven five seven. Okay. So I think she went to either Nasman or or Kings Fork. But Sugar Rogers played in the WNBA. From uh, I had the pleasure of meeting her a couple of times. She coaches at William and Mary now. So just shout out to two VA females that went to the league. Uh, Monica Wright, 
Uh, me and her were uh, kind of the same year in high school. We played in the Virginia High School All Star Game, you know, together the same weekend. Okay. So shout to those VA ballers. I can think of off the top of my head, man. And shout out to my sister Love Brown, who, who was who was a big deal, you know, throughout the seven five seven and growing up, and who taught me, you know, how to play ball. All right, Coach, man. One more last, uh, one more last plug on the book, man. Just the 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 one the one thing that you want people to get out of the book. I want people to get the um, just the the mental side of the book. I want you to you know just look at the book as a as a mental guideline or a mental bar for you know where you want to be or where you want to be with your team, and just take some of those things and let them translate. My my goal as a coach is always to extract what we learn from from the sport and take it into real life. Because if we took the work ethic and the attention to detail and things like that that we that we do in basketball and took that detail and put it into whatever it is we like to do, career, uh, in business, banking, whatever, if we took that work ethic and put that into a career, that we, we'd be very successful, if not more successful than we were at basketball. So take that out of the book, extract the, the, the things that you can use, not just in sport, not just in you know a team, but everywhere and, and use it to make you the best person you can be at whatever it is you do. How you do anything is how you do everything. Do it for the culture. Achieving maximum mental performance by Coach Maurice Mo Sumter. Coach, it was forget the whole coach part. It's just good to see you, bro. Good to see you too. <laughs> Been a minute, man. All day, know what I'm saying, man. Always love. Already, man. So look, make sure that y'all get the book. It's coming out this Thursday. You can get it on Amazon. Get it wherever uh books are sold. Um, I need a copy for my son so he can go ahead and read it. Um, but more than likely, I'll get a I'll get a digital copy because um, I don't think he knows what to do with a book. <laughs> and it's not it is it is not because he doesn't know what to do with a book because he's an all A student. Yeah. It's just they don't use books anymore. They use tablets. You got to get them back to using books, man. I'm gonna get them the hard copy, man. Forget the digital. Get them turning pages, man. That's a, it's a lost art turning the page, man. It'll do something. It'll do something different to you when you sit down with a book and it's it's almost like meditating. All right, so where everybody can find you on social media? Uh, on Instagram and Twitter, that'll be M45Coach. Uh, also on YouTube, that'll be YouTube backslash at MoSumter4545. Also check out the merchandise. We uh, plenty of merch. I have a clothing line called I Am Greater Than, which goes along with the book, inspiring you to be greater than your past, greater than the things you've been through, greater than anything that's in front of you or behind you. Just be greater. Already. Hey, look, no cap, man. Can I voice the audio book? Do you have That's possible. I, know I ain't even thought about it yet. Oh, I, hey, already, man. It's the SS Experience Coach, man. Good to see you, bro. For sure. Good to see you, too. You're listening to the SS Experience on SMG. <laughs>